The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. As we're getting settled, let me say to the the church all gathered here, again, thank you for the the blessing and the honor and the the delight of Friday night. I did not know that's what was going to happen that night. Uh, Honestly, I thought we were having things. And it was was a surprise and it was an honor, and I'm very thankful to you all for, for the great generosity and the notes I've read. Some of them haven't read them all. There's a lot of them. And in the gift that you gave to our family, I'm very thankful and touched by that. And as I thought about the, the song here, one of the things that I'm most thankful for over the last 10 years is the opportunity to be involved in church, where as I have been a, a pastor and also a member of the church, I've come to understand, and I hope that we all have come to understand, something of what that one line, you conquered my heart, now be its defense, means. To, to have conquered us, to have claimed us. And the, the tone of that song is, is, is low and, and in some ways somber. It's about my reflection on my sin and how he has conquered me and actually not conquered me like a champion standing on the neck of a vanquished foe, but conquered in one to himself a friend. And now is the defense of that weak one, the defense of my soul. And I'm going to come around at the end of the sermon. I'm, I'm giving away the end before the beginning, and I mean, we're running out of time here already, so um, maybe I just skipped to the end. Um, but the, I'm going to come around at the end to the idea, I hope, that we are, we are defended and protected and helped by God as we come to understand, as He presses into us and opens our eyes to see the beauty of what He did for us to save us. That action, His conquering of me, claiming me in the gospel, is what then defends me against accusation from out there, accusation from in here, when I realize how much of a failure and a sinner I still am. It defends me from temptation that draws me on to follow the world. He conquered me and now defends me against my enemies. And that is a beautiful thing. And I've, I've appreciated very much the opportunity to learn about that in a body over a decade. And to teach some about that, and I hope you have understood it as you relate to this body also. It is beautiful to be conquered and then defended by God. I'm thankful for that here. Let me pray. Father, we were enemies of yours, and you stood as judge and saw it all better than we did. And thankfully, you conquered us, not in a way that that crushed and killed, but you conquered us in a beautiful, saving way 
and now you are our champion. Defender of us against all foes, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, all those enemies out there and all the enemies from within. You are our defender. You defend my soul. You defend the souls of your people from accusation and from threat and attack, and you carry us safely home. You preserve the saints. Bless your name. That's what you do. That's what Jesus does. Savior and Lord. And we come to this passage today, Lord, where he is going to call us to follow him in a different way. And I pray that you would use this passage and what we'll see in it to move your people here to be faithful followers. Have your way with us in our minds and hearts, Lord. Defend us from distraction and temptation and accusation and fear. Save us again in that way today. Lord, you are good. Open your word now. Teach us, we pray. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 6, where we've been considering this extended teaching of Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for some time. We've seen the first section, Beatitudes and the Woes, that are really preparatory. Jesus speaks those to kind of set the stage and prepare his audience Those who are known as disciples, it says in verse 20, those who are followers of his, to prepare us for what he's going to teach in the heart of the sermon by turning our minds, turning our our attention towards a certain future where judgment and deliverance, both will come. Judgment of all that's evil, so we don't have to. Deliverance from all that's evil, so we don't have to worry. Giving of reward, so we we can have hope. He turns our eyes towards the future to prepare us, to equip us, really, to love our enemies. That's the heart of the sermon, the second section, verses 27 to 38. This is is the main point of the sermon as Luke presents it to us. The heart of it, love your enemies. Love them, not just friends, people who are against you, people who hate you, people who exclude you and curse you and revile you, it is an incredibly high bar that Jesus sets for us. A a hard teaching to hear. We are called to give thoughtful concern to the needs of others and to act to bless them regardless of what they may or may not do for us. And in fact, calling them enemies implies that they will do harm to us. But as we saw last week, We're to be merciful to others even amidst hurt and offense and to not judge in a condemning way people, but instead forgive people and give to them what they need. We call wrong what is wrong, but we forgive people who do and who teach and who say wrong and seek to give to them what we have thoughtfully realized they need. We act with love and kindness and mercy towards others like God has acted in kindness and love and mercy towards us. That's the heart. That's what Jesus is really after. He's explaining disciples. This is what counts. Faith worked through in love. And now we come to the final section of it as Luke reports it to us. 
Matthew's sermon, of course, is longer. Jesus said more. But Luke draws things together, and our section begins in verse 39 with a statement made by Luke about the sermon, indicating that he's drawing some things to a, to a summarized conclusion here to drive home this, this point. He's going to do so with three parables. The final section is three brief stories or pictures, little incidences with a point. Jesus is pulling everything together and is calling us to follow him and listen to him and to heed what he says. So we're going to look at the first of those three parables this morning, verses 39 to 42. Here's the main idea that we're working towards this morning. Helpful disciples of Jesus are those who are careful to follow Jesus. You can hear the point in the emphasis, to follow Jesus. Those are the two observations that I'm going to make here, one about Jesus, actually, and one about actually following Jesus. So I'm going to go this morning, but let me read 39 to 42, and then make two observations from this first paragraph. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. We'll make two observations, kind of break the passage in half, and the first one is regarding Jesus. We must take care that Jesus be the one we follow. We must take care that Jesus be the one we follow. And really, as I've as I thought about this sermon and have, have prepared it and, and prayed over it, nothing here is complicated in the, in the concepts. It's simple. It, it's direct. Jesus has just given all the hard stuff, and now he says, are you with me? We must take care that we follow Jesus. Since well before this sermon, he's been talking about disciple and discipleship. Remember him calling out people, some of them named, some unnamed. And essentially what this Sermon on the Mount has been doing is saying, and here's what the character of my followers is actually like. Now, before we talked about what they do. They are, they are fishers of men with me. They do everything they can to connect me, connect me to lost people like Levi did. Here's what they are like in character. They love in mercy like I love in mercy. That's what I call you to. That's how you are to live. That's what's rewarding for you. My word to my followers. And now at this point, he's saying, essentially, now... I am well aware that there are all sorts of other teachers out there, all sorts of other people who are going to offer themselves to you and invite you to be disciples of theirs and are going to offer up to you 
ways that you can live and ways where you will find life and what can be rewarding to you. That's, that's the way it is out there. I'm well aware of that, but I have a question for you. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Which is no insult to you, as if Jesus is speaking to us. No insult to you. you. You are blind. That's not an insult. You're looking for help. You're asking for guidance. You're saying, which way should I go? You're looking for input and for leadership. That's blind. No insult to you, but the question is, can you find help from a blind man when you're blind? No, of course not, which is the obvious answer. That's the, language that it, that's the answer that the language of his, his question actually assumes. It's really more of a statement than a question. The blind can't be of any help in leading the blind. Neither one of them has any idea where they're going. Neither one of them has any idea where, where they are at the moment or how to get from A to B. Nobody knows. They will both just wander around aimlessly, lost, But really, it's worse than just being lost. Because what he actually says is about falling. He's talking about the real world, real life, and real eternal reward or real eternal loss. He's talking about real things. And it's not just that you wander around wasting time. In fact, the picture he paints for us is a blind man holding on to a blind man as they wander around and then are both suddenly astonished as the ground vanishes beneath their feet and they fall into a pit and are at least injured and maybe they die. Blind leading blind falls into a pit. And you will end up there following a blind guide. Switch the picture. You will become like the one who leads you. Verse 40. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher. Well, as he matures and grows old, he becomes like him. The proverbial-like statement that makes a lot more sense in their culture, perhaps in ours. In our educational systems, we kind of hope that students rise up, that they gather things from different teachers and they, they excel and and go beyond them. But back in that day, in a, in a rabbi, teacher, master, apprentice setting, the whole point is that rabbis never become like their disciples. And masters never become like their apprentices. It's the other way around. A young boy becomes an apprentice. He studies a skill, and his apprenticeship is finished when he can do it just like the master does. So you, you could look at at somebody and say, I watch you work, I see how you do it, I see which tools you use, I see what the product looks like at the end, and I know who taught you because it looks just like what he does. You can listen to a man argue a philosophy or a theological position. You can say, I know your rabbi because that's what he says. Jesus' point, you become like the one you follow. It will happen. So decide up front, he's saying. Just decide first if you want to smell like garlic before you eat garlic, because you will at the end. Who you follow matters. What you become like 
and where you end up are greatly determined by who it is you follow. And we are all following somebody. This is not really a question. We, we do not sit and ask, we do not sit under the question of, do I want to be a disciple or not? We sit under the question of, of whom am I a disciple? Who do you follow? You are following. We all see before us people who are modeling and and groups that are offering perspectives, and we, we listen and, and are informed and conformed by all kinds of input, friends around us at, at the lockers in the hallway and people in the gym and what's on the radio, everything out there, everything out there is offering guidance. And something in here is too. Our, our own hearts are offering us perspective and, and offering us direction, presenting to us opportunities and, and trying to sell to us good goals. Here's where life is found. Jesus' point is extremely simple. All of the world is blind. All of it. And as Jesus stands there and preaches this sermon to, to his disciples and those who are listening around on the fringes, he is not offering himself as one of the decent alternatives. It, it is a, a complete divide. It is Jesus and the blind world. It goes like this. There, there is no gradation. It is one or all of the others. These folks sitting and listening to him, we ourselves sitting and listening to him, we, we say that we are his disciples, and the question to us really is, are you mine? And will you remain so after you hear me teach about loving enemies and setting a high bar? Will you remain with me? All of the world is blind. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm saying something here that is uh, almost an insult to you. Because I, I know many of us here, you know Jesus and you, you are a Christian. That's why you're here. You are a worshiper of him. You are a follower of him. And I'm maybe in some way questioning that or or maybe in some way calling you to do something that you, you sense you already have done, it feels a little awkward. Even to me, it feels a little kind of uh, punchless. And maybe what I need to do is call our attention together here and say, Pay careful attention to how you walk. In the difficult issues, 
in the, the high bar, high calling, complex issues, the ones that challenge your, your heart, love of enemy, and I don't mean just generically, I mean that particular person right there. Because that particular person right there is going to be where the question is answered. Are you a follower or not? This, yes. Right here. If you don't follow him here, and I'm putting my finger on a, on a generic difficulty for you. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a job challenge or a particular lure towards financial gain or, or the offer of, of some immoral relationship, something, something, 1%, the 99% you're okay with, but that one thing, do you follow him there? Follow me. Everything else, everyone else is blind. Now, for us, we, we hear follow Jesus and we have to reckon there's a mediating step there because we don't actually have the opportunity to, to actually walk behind Jesus. So we have to say, follow Jesus as he speaks in his word. Follow Jesus as he presents himself to us by his spirit living in us, within us. Follow Jesus as he is modeled for us by other faithful followers of Jesus. The scriptures talk about that. Think of Paul, for instance, in Philippians. Imitate me, follow me, as I set you the example of Christ. Follow your parents as they follow Christ. Follow other teachers and leaders and guides and pastors as they follow Christ. There's a mediating step there for us. Now, I just said, follow parents if and as they follow Christ. Follow teachers if and as they follow Christ. Do I mean to say that, to a child, for instance, that you can disobey your parents if they aren't Christians? No. No. Jesus is not talking about obeying rightful authority. And he doesn't mean either to say, that there isn't any such thing as, as worldly knowledge and worldly wisdom. It, it, is, it is certainly true that we can look out and we can see folks who are not Christians, even folks who are very, very anti-Christian, who understand how the world works and can issue good advice, and we should heed that and be aware of that. Yes. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he talks about blindness and draws this either him or, or everybody else divide. What he means is the world is blind and must not be followed into its blindness in this single catastrophic sense. The world cannot see and does not seek after God. It doesn't. All have turned away from him and all now seek life and seek meaning seek to, to offer to us goals and perspectives in the creation itself and in all the things that we make with our hands and all the ways that we create life and all the ways that we relate as people. And Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God has revealed to humanity who he is. But what did we do with that? 
We set it all aside and became futile in our thinking and darkened in our understanding. We don't think well. We don't want well. We don't pursue well. We are blind. Do you remember, if you're a Christian, do you remember what it was like to walk through the world and not know what was going on? To walk through, to pursue a career, to pursue a relationship. Those are two things that resonate with me. And to think, if only I grab a hold of this, and if only I excel in this, and if only this can be, can be nailed down and secured, then I will, I think, I think, I hope, have good. And then you got there and you realized it, it wasn't. Do you remember that? Do you remember the confusion of trying to understand what am I supposed to be doing? What is my life about? Do you remember feeling guilty and not knowing how to get out from underneath of that? Do you remember searching for some sort of direction, some sort of purpose, why to get up in the morning and, and why to choose this and not that, and feeling like it's totally dependent on whatever my friends say? There's no anchor here. Do you remember that? Maybe do you identify with that now? The world seems aimless and seems without meaning and without purpose and, and full of pursuit, pursuit, pursuit that shows itself empty at the end and leaves guilt. Do you remember that kind of life? It is, the, it is some of the, the darkness of blindness. I don't see God. I don't seek after God. I don't get it. Do you remember that? One of the, the good and glorious things that God did for us in the gospel, one of the things that he did for us in the gospel is he sent us a guide from outside of this world, someone who knew what was going on, knew where we were supposed to be going, and knew how to get there. He knew what our problem was and knew how to address it. We needed a guide from outside of this world, and God kindly sent a guide to us to say, this is how you walk to find life. This is how you walk to be relieved and to be put at rest and to be found in meaning and purpose. The gospel does many things. The gospel cleanses us from sin. Gloriously so. The gospel reunites us to God. Gloriously so. And the gospel explains us to us, explains God to us, explains life here to us. This is what we are about and where we are going and how to get there. And Jesus is the only one who gives illumining light. He's the only one who knows the truth. He's the only one who knows the way. And he's the only one who can give life.
He is the one we have to follow, Jesus. All across the board, not just in most of life, but in in all of life, even in the most difficult 1%. He gives sight to us. And so as we walk with him, there is, there is, as a lantern, a light that illumines the path. And so we see the pitfalls. And we avoid them. And we see where the path leads and, and the hope that lies at the end of it. We must be careful to follow Jesus. Not blind guides. Not the blind guides of the world. We will become like them, lost just like them, and headed to destruction. That's not a complicated point. Where does Jesus sit? Put yourself in the front seat of your car, and where is Jesus in the front seat of the car? And I'm not talking about he's in the driver's seat or the passenger seat or the back seat. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying as you're looking and you're steering your car, is, is Jesus in the field of view? Are you driving towards him or not? Are you a follower of his always and in everything? His first point. But the second one moves on beyond who to what we must do and why. We must take care that we actually follow Jesus before attempting to help others to do so. We must take care that we actually follow Jesus before attempting to help others to do so. Emphasis here is on follow. The first one was Jesus' follow. Verse 41 moves beyond this this simple question about about blindness and moves us towards the, the brief story about the speck in the log. And Jesus asks, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? A generic word for some tiny little thing. You see the speck, maybe a little bit of dust or an eyelash or something, a speck in his eye. Why do you do that? Why do you notice that? And you don't notice the log that is a great big and what would be a central beam in a house. Think like an, like an eye beam or a, a great girder sticking out of your own eye. It's, it's a preposterous picture. Why do you see that little thing over there and approach him? How can you approach your brother and say, and the feeling of the statement is kind of an unsolicited approach, initiating, the guy with the girder goes up to spec guy, unsolicited, and says, hey, you have a problem with your eyes. You can't see. Can I help you? Thing sticking out. Obviously, that shouldn't happen. But Jesus steers our thinking here not towards Leave him alone, mind your own business, deal with your own stuff, period. But directs our thinking. I need to approach him second, not never, second. 
First, deal with the log in your own eye, and then, he says, you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. The solution is to get things in the right order, to first attend to your own self, your own sight, or really your own following, and then you'll be able to help him. We are to help one another. We are to say, I see some speck. I see some issue with your, own eyes, with your eyesight. Let me be a, a helpful person to you. But first, I have to deal with my own issues. If I'm going to avoid being a blind guide myself, if I'm going to avoid conforming you to my own problems, I first must deal with my own sanctification, my own growth. I must actually follow Jesus if I hope to be helpful and not hurtful. So, let me skip to the end here. Because I need to talk about how that works. I'm trying to compile a few things here. and So, see, see a couple of my steps here. Let me just show you where I'm trying to go with this. To see, we have to follow if we want to be helpful. And then to see, secondly, this is what genuine godliness is like. Me first, and then you. Some of us are, are, are confused in this point. We think that genuine godliness is, I know some truth, and I defend it in your life. I stand up for it out there. I argue for it out there. Genuine godliness is first, I pursue it in here, in me, so that I become a follower of Christ and I become conformed to Christ. And that then is what Jesus says, that is what prepares me to help you. If I skip the first step, I cannot help you. I can only hurt you. I mislead you. I have to be able to see. I have to understand what's going on here and to be changed, to be a follower of Jesus, conform to Jesus, and then I help you. So if I want to be helpful in the body, if I want to be a, a minister, if I want to be somebody who blesses other people, I first, you first, have to attend to yourself. So, why don't we follow Jesus? Why don't we? Ultimately, the reason, sometimes it's because we don't know what he commands, indeed. That's not usually the case. We don't. When we are finding ourselves led astray to follow other people, to follow other offers from the world, the issue that's going on is that we don't actually believe him. We don't have a fact problem, we have a faith problem. It's somewhat like this. If you think of, a, think of yourself as an athlete recovering from a knee injury, you hurt your knee, and in that moment, all, all you can see of that moment in your mind's eye was the, the collapse and the, the great big lump of searing pain torn ligaments, torn muscles, just wrecked knee. That's imprinted on your mind. Disaster. And then you go to the doctor and the physical therapist and they fix you. 
Put it all back together. You exercise. You, you hit the various marks, the levels of improvement. They check off the boxes. You're strengthened. The flexibility is restored. The, 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 the power and, and the agility comes back, and, and you're fixed. And so you have been told, you understand, I am okay, I am healed, I believe that, I put on the uniform, and I go back onto the playing field. And a bunch of athletes, this is where the Christian comes in, a bunch of athletes get stuck right there. And they play hesitantly, they play with reserve, they play afraid, not because they don't believe they're fixed, that's why they put on the uniform and step back in the field, because in their mind they remember the collapse. The torn up knee. And they don't cut, and they don't run, and they don't jump, they don't progress, they don't live freely, they live with restraint, and they live with fear, afraid of what was, doubting what is. We, in many ways, as we come up before Jesus and we hear his command, love your enemy, we hear his command, we come up and we are like that athlete so often. You, if you are a Christian, you have been healed. You will not collapse. You can cut and run and jump and, and live and when you live and when you love and the cursing and the reviling comes back, you will not collapse into, into a pile of shame that rips apart your heart. In fact, you have a defender of your soul. You have one. Jesus lives in you. The gospel is true. He has fixed you. He does abide. He will never abandon you. That all is true. And you believe it, which is why you're a Christian, but you don't believe it, which is why you live with hesitation and refuse to follow. Belief is the issue. Not behaviors. Not even facts about what is true. Believing the facts is the issue. So how, what do we do with that? How do, we, how do we get past that so that you can live following Jesus without fearing that when I obey him, when I follow him, I step into this, what's going to happen is crushing pain, collapse and failure. How do I step out walking by faith? How do I do that? Well, part of the answer is what you do, and part of the answer is what God does. What God does is, is first and foremost, God gives sight to your still partially blind eyes so that you see, so that you see. God, by His Spirit, this is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, to illumine Christians, to shine a light on truth in the minds of Christians, that our minds would be renewed and then we would be transformed. To take truth and show 
Christ has healed you. I live in you. You are okay. To give you eyes to see that and faith to believe it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. God must do that. God must do that. But what we must do, what what must you do? What we must do is, is give the Spirit of God, if you will, ammunition. Give Him the truth to work with. Give Him the Scriptures in His hands to knead into my my heart, to knead it into my head. And then I must walk step by step by step. I walk forward, and I find I didn't collapse. I I believe, I, I say, okay, Lord, I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to step out. Will you meet me? That's that's what faith looks like. I step out. Will you meet me? I will love my enemy. And when the shame comes back, huh, it was okay. I will bless the one who curses me. And when when the reviling comes back, you sustained me. You have to walk. You have to to step out in obedience. And God, this Holy Spirit, must shine light into your heart and mind to show you the truth and to convince you of its its depth and breadth and height and beauty. That's what it is to walk with Jesus. This, This dynamic of of God works and I work with him, empowered by him. God works. I obey. God works. I step out in faith. It is not only God and I don't do anything. I have to actually walk. But if he does not illumine, I'm lost. As you walk with him like that, praying for God to open your eyes, praying for God to illumine the truth of the scriptures to you, praying for God to show you the goodness of God. As you walk like that, that changes you, and what happens on the other side of that is you become a different person who is able to understand when I interact with some other person with a speck in his eye, I get the speck, I understand the thing in your eye. I've dealt with it in my own. I see the deception there. I dealt with it myself. I know the the truths that that are actually true. You have been healed in this way and in that way in particular. Believe it. Walk with it. Let me walk with you. I'm only equipped to help this other person because I have done it too. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and has something to give away. We must be followers of Jesus. And when we are followers of Jesus, that's then what equips us and makes us helpful to other people in their needs and as they attempt to be followers of Jesus too.
In a lot of ways, I feel like I just need to crash land this thing because I looked at, just looked at the clock and realized, man, what have I done? Brothers and sisters, I'm looking at a couple of verses in Luke here. And in many ways for me personally, these three paragraphs before it have been some of the sweetest, most challenging paragraphs that I've, I've dealt with in a long time, for me personally. And I look at this paragraph, and all I see in it is follow me. Follow me. Even into the incredibly difficult love of enemy. And as you follow me, I will equip you to help other people follow me. I spent way too much time saying a pretty simple message. You can follow him. He has opened your eyes. He will meet you. He will accompany you. He gives you his spirit to continually light the way for you. We celebrate communion now to remember that the gospel is real. It is true. Take the cup into your hand. Maybe the elders can come forward now. Take the cup into your hand here. And as, as you take it, you remember this, this is about something. You take the bread into your hand, you remember this is about something that actually happened. Christ came and loved his enemies and rose again from the dead to prove life can be found on the other side of laying your life down. And he wants to give that to you too. So follow him and give up everything. Let me pray. Lord, you put before us these two elements, bread and cup. We thank you for the bread first. As we take it into our hands, we remember that you said you were giving yourself bread sent from heaven. Bread to feed us and nourish us. Bread broken for us. Would you press into the minds of us here, your brother, our brothers and sisters, your, your people. Press into our minds great, thorough assurance. You feed and you satisfy. You make us full and complete. 
cause us to believe that and to follow you into the risky, so it seems, the risky giving away of everything, knowing that you fill us. Move here now on your people, I ask you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.